Welcome. Yes, Sports Reports is ordered is back, and you are listening to the sounds of Mr. Logical in 2-5. So, tonight, the NBA Finals are here. Denver versus Miami, like we always knew it was going to happen, right? <laughs> Shout out to Ben Simmons. What up? Ben, Boston, Boston, Boston. Woo! That's all I can say. Then we're going to talk about the NFL's new kickoff rule, which is nothing more than college football's college, you know, kickoff rule. Then the last thing before I get it off my chest are the Colorado Buffaloes on the move. And please, please, America, somebody out there, please get Scotty Pippen some help. That man is not okay. What's up, Mr. Logical? Silly man, just got the last dance in the background, you know, since we'll talk about basketball and the allure and the history and, uh, you know. Shout just, out to Zeke. You know, shout out to Ben Simmons, Philadelphia. Like, I bought this jersey. I think he still might have been on the team or right when they traded him to Brooklyn. Yeah. I think I got it from Champs for like $20. <laughs> just because it was $20, I was like, yeah, I'll get it. I mean, yeah. it's all, you know, it's authentic little jersey. I mean, it's nice, and I didn't think I was going to ever wear it. This is the first time I probably had it on. I tried it on when I bought it, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get this podcast. Like, you know what? Let me, you know, let me break this out. This, you know, it's our right. thing with the jerseys and all of that. So, well, you know, I was being, man, come back strong. Well, you know, I was being real indecisive, so I just ended up with the plant and my Roswell shirt, you know, shout out to all my aliens out there, you know, saying, get up, get up, you know. Apparently they real. Apparently they real. Yeah, that whole city, man, like as soon as you walk in or get there, like I was driving down the street, they had little green dudes in front of the hotel. They had little green dudes by the gas station. I was just like, damn, they Listen, really. <laughs> lean into it. Oh, and speaking of New Mexico, real quick before we get started, I know nobody cares about New Mexico, but I'm going to say this anyway. Las Vegas, New Mexico. Y'all better get some T-shirts and some shot glasses and, like, do the real Las Vegas thing or something like that. Give me a reason to come back. Are you talking about, like, how Paris, Texas and Paris, Tennessee and London, Ontario? Yeah, like, you got to have a little mini Eiffel. Yeah, you got to have something. It's a legit mini Eiffel in, like, Paris, Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? But, But that's the logical. Boston fell short in their attempt to become the first team to come back from a 3-0 series deficit. The record is now 0-151. So Miami, you know, they had their tickets for Denver. They're going to get to use them. Do they got it's a nice chance? City. Do they got a chance? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, there's always, like, this conventional wisdom that you can get too much rest in a playoff series. One team is is playing, you know, playing for their life and you're, you know, you're on easy street, six, seven, eight days off. You can come in a little lax. From the way Mike Malone was coaching him on the bench, losing his voice in that series against the Lakers, I don't think he's going to let up now. First time the team's been in the NBA finals. You got a two-time MVP and the knock on him was he couldn't lead a team to the finals. So I think they'll be ready. And unlike when we'll get into Boston specifics and everything else, I think the way Denver runs their offense, man, it's just it's effective because they have 
they have a playmaker who can dribble drive that they mm-hmm. trust in Jamal Murray, young, active, score, short memory, very humble, fits into the system. And then they have a humble superstar that can play at the hoop or he can play 26 feet out. So when you have that and then you have guys that just kind of know their role, KCP, he knows I'm going to come off the screen and Jokic is going to see me. I'm going to get this three-point shot. Aaron Gordon knows I'm going to run the lane on this fast break. They're going to throw it up to me. I'm a slam dunk champion, even though he got robbed a couple of times, and I'm going to dunk it. Michael Porter Jr., same thing. I think I think they just know when Bruce Brown comes into the game. It's just, it just something about the way that the, the, the way they flow. I know the Lakers, you know, they swept the Lakers, and it looked tough. The Lakers had a nice little run. But the way they got back in the game was Jamal Murray saw a couple of free throws go through. I think he got about four free throws, and then he shot his little jumper in game two. But that whole time, Jokic was steady. They just never look rattled. I think Miami's leverage on teams is they don't have the most talent. They just have the most tenacity. And tenacity can rattle you. I don't think Denver gets rattled because I think what they do so well is just ingrained in their offense. It's, you don't need a Herculean performance from any of their stars. They Jokic went 30, 20, and 10 in game one, and no one talked about it because it just looked like that's what he was going to do. It just looked like he was going to get you 30. He looked like he was going to get you 13, 15, and 15. Mm-hmm. But then when he gets you 30, 20, and like damn near 15. And yeah, they said, did he run out of gas in the fourth quarter? Yeah, but they was up 20. <laughs> and then Jamal Murray, you know, got his little buckets. And then even AD in game one got the 40. But it did AD's 40 didn't look as effective as Jokic's 32. Because I think his 40 came with like seven rebounds. Whereas Jokic's 32 came with 20 plus rebounds. And I think he had more rebounds than the Lakers had total rebounds like the first half. It was like it was it was crazy. So I I don't want to say sweep because I gotta give I gotta give Miami a shot. But if it go if it goes six, I'd be surprised. Well, yeah, I wrote down six. Like, and uh, you know, all I know is I don't know how many games it's gonna go, but Miami ain't gonna win. That's all I know right now. Um, you know, so I was looking back and I know, I know. Regular season doesn't matter. But, you know, I went back to look at this when they played each other, you know, twice this year, uh, once in December, once in February. Um, the Nuggets won both games, one by five, one by four. Uh, Jimmy Butler averaged 20 and a half points, eight and a half assists, and eight rebounds, 40, 41 per, or 42% shooting. Bam Adebayo, 20 and a half with four and a half rebounds and 43% shooting. Jokic, on the other hand, you know, 30, 13, and 10, <laughs> you know. And, and that's but, a standard game for him, this whole this playoff run. I think that's what he's averaging. And and the good news, the good news for Miami is that if Bam Adebayo can score 20 points, they're 6-0 and in this playoff run. But the bad news is he only scored 20 points six times. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, <laughs> doing the math. I was like, they played a lot of games. They just yeah. played seven against Boston. So, so um, 
Miami was fortunate, and I know this sounds stupid now after the fact, you know, because Boston was the two seed and everything, but Boston shot 30% on 38 threes per game. You know, Denver's not going to shoot 30% from three. No. You know, even if they have a bad game, even if they have a 11 for 46 type game, you know, it's going to average out. Whereas Boston has guys that want to shoot the ball. Denver has guys that can shoot the ball. Yeah, we're definitely going to, we will definitely have our, our Boston talk here in one of our segments, you know, in the, in the A block or the B block as they call it in the, <laughs> in the radio world. But yeah, like, like I said, I think Denver's role players, I know I picked the Lakers in seven in the Western Conference Finals. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this is just the year that it just comes together for the Lakers. They were, they were, I thought they were the different team. They were the defensive team. They just ran so many big bodies at you. And then what I realized is that all those big bodies that ran at Jokic, he literally, like something that, that his teammates interview, they talk about is like, you can't speed them up. Like you can look at some players, you can just see, like sometimes with Kevin Durant, you can just see that he's the pressing. defender is mm-hmm. pressing him and he's pressing. Sometimes even with LeBron, when he's having one of those nights where it's like he's not shooting well, but he's like, I got to get to the cup. You can see sometimes he can be a little press AD. But those guys use speed as part of their advantage on the floor. Jokic just used vision. So I can't go fast and see stuff. Like everyone's seen the previews for the flash. The faster you go, the harder it is to visualize on something. So I think the fact that Jokic, any defender that Miami runs at him is – Best case scenario, four inches shorter. But then four inches shorter, maybe 20, 25 pounds lighter. You bring Kevin Love, and Kevin Love is what we call him Kevin Love, 6'10". I think with he's more like, it, I, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think he's more like 6'8". Yeah, I think yeah, he's so, more like 6'8", yeah. So even if we call it 6'10", Jokic is still seven foot seven one, And Kevin Love's slim. Then you've got uh, Cody. Zellner, Zell, I keep getting Zeller. the name wrong. Yeah, yeah, Zeller. Zeller. Yeah. yeah, he's probably you know he's probably a long six eleven, but he's probably six eleven, two eleven. Can't be <laughs> much with Jokic. <laughs> then you have Bam, who is going to be at certain points throughout the game a focal point offensively, and the way he gets the ball, it's a lot of movement, so it's a lot of energy mm-hmm. exerted just to get him to the ball. A lot of you know dribbles from the elbow, so it's a lot of energy. Jokic is going to be like. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, cool. Like, if you get close, I'll try to defend it. If not, you can dribble out there all day. But when I get this ball, I'm gonna go down to the block, and I'm gonna make you defend me for seven or eight dribbles, and then I'm gonna shoot some crazy off foot sombrero spin around one hand <laughs> floater that's gonna hit all net, and it's gonna deject you every single time it happens. Yeah. So, so it's Bam basically like. Aaron Gordon without the want to sometimes because you know because I was watching him last night and they you know there were times he had Derek White on him or you know he had Smart on him or whatever and he was just like shooting fadeaways you know like not because everything like it goes through him because he's the second guy when he probably should be the third guy 
Mm-hmm. So it's trying. It's if if Jalen if it went Tatum, Al Horford, and it was no Jalen Brown. So now you work in the Tatum outside and Horford inside. Horford is probably probably a good, he's a good basketball player. He played a lot of years in the league, couple national championships out down in Florida, but he can't be your second option. He can't be your guy like the way LeBron can be your number one and AD can be your number two. Is all right, give him the ball, let him work through the post. They play Bam that way because I don't think they have a second guy. If they had a if they had Hero, and it could go Jimmy. Tyler and then Bam, and then Bam could just kind of save energy, just offensive rebound and get points that way. And that's why, you know, like I said, we're getting to Boston. Right. I think Denver will take advantage of that because they're going to make him either defend Aaron Gordon because they got, because Spo is going to come up with the plan for Jokic. And mm-hmm. you can't have Bam because you need Bam offensively. So he's going to put somebody out there that he thinks can defend Jokic. And Jokic is going to just nickel and dime him. All over the floor. You know, a word on the street is Hero will be back for game three. And it kind of made me think, I know it's not really equivalent, but it made me think of Jameer Nelson when Rafer Alston was, when he came back and, I mean, when Jameer came back, Rafer Alston was playing well. And then it just messed up that dynamic. So I don't know if Tyler Hero, I think they'll welcome him back because they probably need the scoring. But, um, <clears throat> I guess the key here, you know, when the Lakers were playing Denver, my I was saying that I thought the key was you can't let Jokic be a passer. I mean, but then again, I don't know how you really stop him either. But, you know, you can't let him be a passer. But with Miami, I think the key is he's shown against the Lakers a propensity to commit fouls. So if you could get him in foul trouble, then that might help you out a little bit because – when he's on the floor, and this is since 2021, the 2021-2022 season, when Jokic is on the floor, Denver is 10.2 points per 100 possessions. And when he's not on the floor, they're negative 8.9. So foul trouble. You got you to gotta use your quickness against him while he's playing defense. And he also will run over you, too. We saw that against the Lakers, too. He'll just run over you. If you're yeah. in the way, uh, but I think now I think I think they'll get him more breaks because he won't. I don't think he'll be tested mm-hmm. on either end of the floor. I think yep. offensively, he'll he shoots so awkwardly. Someone's gonna get their hand in the cookie jar. He's gonna be at the free throw line where mm-hmm. I think he's like an eighty percent free throw shooter. Eighty and plus. Then, uh, Denver. Uh, so Miami. Throughout this playoff run, besides the Knicks series, they were just over their heads from three-point range. You know, uh, from the playoffs, from the regular season to the playoffs, they went up 5% from three-point shots. You know, but Denver can shoot just as good or better. You know, and let's not forget, I know Miami's on this run, and I know it's awesome because, you know, the lowest seed to ever win a title was a six they seed. They just had an 0-3 league go to game seven. So let's not talk about well, well, I was, well, I was going to bring up the fact – I was going to bring up the fact <coughs> that, they, that they lost in the first play – the play-in game. I was going to bring that up. They lost to Atlanta, you know, who is a decent shooting team, you know, without some of the parts that Denver has. Miami's just been red hot, you know, basically, you know. Um, and I think that – the other record that I thought of was Miami. The East is weak. 
No joking. I just want to speak that out. Miami, Miami is six and two when making at least 40% of their threes. So eight game sample there. Um, Caleb Martin, you know, unsung hero. You know, people were saying that he should have won MVP over Jimmy Butler. Man, Gundy was hyping it for two games. He didn't. He he was saying it in Game Six that he thought that Caleb Martin was their the was the uh, the most valuable player. Like I, valuable player. I understand it in some ways, in but six, and then in Game Seven he comes out. He's eleven for fifteen, twenty six points. Yep, and and he only averaged nine during the regular season. But you know, I, I get it. But but at the same time, like a lot of what Miami is able to do is predicated on Jimmy and what the defense is reacting to him doing. You know, so there's a lot of open players just because of the attention to Jimmy. Yeah, but, but Caleb, the one, the Caleb grabbed was over 20 points in his seven game series and he started the series out on the bench and then you move into the starting line. Right, and right. And then, oh, and then, oh, by the way, in the midst of your losing streak when you had a 3 0 lead, just throwing and, it out there because Nick Dollar oh, got a finals MVP off that same basic concept. <laughs> and then, oh, by the way, Denver has six people. You know what? Never mind. I ain't gonna say that right now. Um, you know, Denver, Denver actually has got him on a tangent. No, I was like looking at myself and you know, I was thinking about the intro and like with this hat, I was like. I kind of look Scotty Pippenish, you know, but that was that was that's what I was thinking. That's what I was just like, what? But anyway, am I, am I high like Scotty? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but Denver actually has six players averaging double figures. So even if Jokic or Murray, it's be a sweep, man. Even if I'm sorry. Well, right it's before we be recorded, there's well, no way. There's no like I would say there's no, there's <laughs> I don't want to say there's no way, but Miami doesn't play well at home. People talk about. They were talking about the Miami fans and the Miami faith. I'm like, listen, I remember game six back in the day when people were trying to bang their way back into the arena when the game went to overtime. And I've seen the years after when there was no number six playing there and you come back from commercial and it's like, is it that many people at concession stands or do they not have that many fans there? Then the fans come back when they're hot. It's Miami. It's like, so like people need to stop. We got to stop front. I get it. They're a tough team. We love Jimmy Butler. We love Eric Spostra. But they definitely had a 0-3 lead that if any credible coach, if they subbed out Nick Nurse for Missoula yesterday, they would he would have won that game. If you would have put if you put Doc Rivers in there, Doc Rivers would be like, let's not get crazy now. I think we should, I think mm-hmm. we should go to the paint a little more. Well, well matter of fact, while we were on I it, think Jeff Van Gundy could have came in there. Mark, well, somebody else would have been like, yo, you are doing this wrong. Why are you shooting 21st? We'll get into Boston. Yeah, but. while we're while we're on it, congrats, Nick Nurse, you know, new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. So you know, South Philly. you know, yeah, but yeah, so, and, and also look, by the way, Denver, Denver hasn't Denver hasn't lost at home yet in the playoffs. They will get swept. They will get <laughs> they will get swept. These dudes after game four in Miami, Jokic finals MVP. He's gonna hoist a trophy. His brother's gonna get arrested. It's gonna be bananas. One of them's gonna well, punch you remember, a horse. I was gonna it's bring gonna that be, up. Gonna be nuts. I was gonna bring that up. Like a little beef with the Miami. Yeah, Marquise Morris. You know, yeah. um, or Marcus, one of the two. You know, um, but yeah. So you know. Denver hasn't lost at home in these playoffs, you know, so that's another thing going against Miami, you know. So where Miami, I guess, Spo is just going to have to cook up something in the lab, and he is capable of cooking up something, but that might be good enough to get a game 
you know, possibly two. If he has a 6'11 guy on the roster that he doesn't use much, but is like is active and they can like play well, him. How tall is uh how tall is Jertsevin? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to go to that. He's, he's seven feet. He's seven feet. You know, I how much does he weigh? Two sixty-four. You might have to put him in there. Yeah, you might have to put him in there. That's why I was telling you they might have like, to put Kevin Love in there just to have another body with yeah. size. It was like, the same thing when I was like, it. you got to put Tristan Thompson in the game just to have another dude that's close mm-hmm. to six foot ten that at least at a minimum can make make Jokic see something different because. That's that's the telltale thing, and that's why that's why coaching matters. Coaching matters in football, and from a preparedness standpoint, but the players really make it work because you can have a great defensive coach, but if your free safety is out of position twice against you know any any good quarterback or any wide receiver, like if you're out of position twice against Patrick Mahomes. He's gonna make you pay. Joe Burrow's gonna make you pay. That's that's <laughs> probably two touchdowns. Even right now with Tua and Tyreek and Waddle, that speed. If you have your head turned the wrong way, you could get beat. So, but in the NBA with coaching, it's you, you have to be able to recognize the tendencies of your own team and the other team. And you you might have to just give the other guy a different look. You can run your same concept, but you might have to just say, you know what. I need to get a different level of energy in the game, so I'm gonna take you out of the starting lineup, D'Lo, and I'm gonna put Austin Reeves in, in your spot, or I'm gonna take <clears throat> you out and I'm gonna sub you with Tristan Thompson to give him a different body. At least give him that because in that game four, I mean they only lost. The score was one thirteen, one eleven. You talking about the LA Denver series, so it does work. But if you're not gonna, if you can't give a team that's that's been together this whole year, that continuity, if you can't give them anything that kind of messes up the feng shui of how they play, it's 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 more likely going to be a sweep because it's like if they know, all right, Gabe Vincent's going to come double off of KCP, then Jokic is like, that is, that's money because Gabe Vincent's like 6'2", 6'3", I'm going to throw over the top, and then someone's going to come off Michael Porter Jr., get into the corner. This is his series. You know, it's like so. It's if if you do that every time because Boston was doing that against Embiid, they kept running, they kept running the uh, no Brooklyn in the Brooklyn series way back when the playoffs first started. They kept doubling off the nearest guy to Embiid, whoever the nearest other defender was, just would run at Embiid. And at some point, I forgot who was calling that game. They were like, "You either might have to just stop doing that and just." leave and bead one-on-one to see if if his energy is right because i know he you know he always kind of stumbles into the playoffs or you got to show it harder like you got to go all out and fully commit or you got to stop doing it because brooklyn did it so much it was like he knew exactly when it was coming and he would just <laughs> yeah. kick it to maxi and then maxi would just be wide open like, yeah <clears throat> and, and this is that's why this is michael porter series i believe you know, because Jamar Murray is going to have moments where he goes scorch level and they're going to have to react probably and put Jimmy Butler on him or, you know, maybe um, Caleb Martin, you know, can pick him up in some possessions. But then if Murray does get hot, Jokic is going to be doing his thing. 
So who's going to guard Porter? You know, Jimmy can't be two places at once. And Jokic loves when Murray gets hot. He will he will dribble handoff for Murray for a whole half and not take one shot. He will just literally screen and get Murray open. Because when Murray it's, when Murray goes for 50, in those games when Murray's at 20, and it's like, yo, he's getting there. That's why he has so many of these 20-point quarters, because Jokic is like, Jokic is like, yo, I will literally feed you the ball mm-hmm. if you're hot. And, like, I, can, I can get this shot. He's like, I can get this off all day, this and, way and, back here. But he's like, oh, you hot? Okay, cool. We run this, this, this dribble handoff. And see what you can do. And poor Duncan, <laughs> poor Duncan Robinson. You know, like he's gonna come in the game, he'll hit a shot or two, and then barbecue chicken. Death. You know, what it what, what was it? Uh death by a thousand paper <laughs> paper cuts. Yeah. You know, and then you're gonna bring in Tyler Hero and they go do the same thing. Yeah, and, and you can't I, play him at the same time. Yeah, uh Shannon Sharp said this he was uh because Skip Bayless said, you know, Tyler Hero could be back. For, this is before, like, mm-hmm. Miami clicks the series. He was like, if Miami makes NBA Finals, you know, Tyler Hero can come. No, he said, you might, maybe you could bring Tyler Hero back before the Boston series ended. And Shannon Sharp like, listen, man, they're going to be slapping that hand. He's like, <laughs> he, he better be ready. He's like, he's like, I know we did it in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You come back with an ankle if you want too early. Mm-hmm. We go either keep cutting you on that side or we'll step on it. Yeah, and they're going to need – I know this sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, Miami's going to need Kyle Lowry. You know, they're going to need Yo, that I shit. like the way Kyle Lowry plays. I do too. I mean, I'm an old man, so, I mean, it resonates I, with I, me. They're going to put him on Jamal Murray and try to frustrate him. Because, you know, cause like I said, I talk about this. Kyle Lowry's old. He's like our age. He's pushing He's pushing 40. I think he's 37. Old. I think he's 37. 37, 38, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's like, you know, junkyard dog attitude, Philly guy, like just a grinder. And I think if Jamal Murray gets hot, don't stick Kyle Lowry out there and be like, all right, man, you got two fouls. Yeah. And that's when Michael Porter and that's when Michael Porter goes ham. And and you know, also like I was criticizing Aaron Gordon the first couple of games against the Lakers because it seemed as though he wanted no part of the action. He wasn't setting screens, he just kind of found a spot on the court and just kind of hang out. He got a little more active as the series went on. So was LeBron guarding him? At that early, not at that point, not at the point that I'm thinking of. Not at he might have wanted to just of. keep him out of the action because you know, you know, because LeBron, but, if he's in the middle of the action, he can point. And but if you but, just but, leave him on Aaron Gordon in the corner, then he can't really affect. But, but this the is flow. also this is also a series for him to reestablish himself. Oh, yeah, know, he's going he's going to average like 14 points, seven eight rebounds, couple of blocks. He's going to he's probably going to defend Bam. So he's gonna get his fouls off on Bam. They probably, like I said, I'm gonna. I don't know where you put Jokic if he's not defending Bam because I don't know. I I just would. I would rather have, unless you put him out on Struess. And, and I don't. I don't. I don't think you can do the Rui. Bam. I don't think you could do the Rui thing. I don't think you can put Jimmy Butler on Jokic for long periods of time. I think you can try it. Mm-hmm. You can but try it, but you. You have to be able to run at least two or three of those. Two or three of those things have to be affected because one isn't, then they're gonna figure out the other two. So like, you got like if it's a Jimmy Butler in his hip, he's like, all right, cool. Where's Bam coming from? Because that's your only help. I mean, you're not gonna send Struce, you're not gonna send Vincent, you're not gonna send Duncan Robinson. 
So Bam's the help. So that means you're running your best two defenders at the one guy who doesn't mind passing the ball to the yeah. other four shooters. I don't think that's the recipe. I'm, I'm giving I'm giving Miami two. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Jimmy Butler one. You know, but just because of the heart, the intensity. You got Jimmy Butler just off intensity getting you one win. Yeah, yeah, and, and then, then the team Denver, and then Denver. And then Denver's going to have an off-shooting game that gets Miami a second one, you know, because Denver's been – it's got to come back. You know, I always say it, it's got to come back to its mean. I'm going to go ahead and give Miami zero games because <laughs> I don't think people are going to call – like I, I legitimately believe that they will sweep Miami. It won't be I, – I don't think it will be like, you know, they, they're killing them by 20 or 30, but I think it will be a couple of – like the first quarter of game one, I can see Denver dropping 34, 36 points and being up 34, 36, 18 after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Or 36, 21, something like that after the first quarter. Some shots got to fall for Miami. That's, you know, that's at, at home, the energy, first time NBA finals. Well, I mean, they well could come rested. out, they could come out anyone, a little tight. Any, anyone with the knee soreness ankle soreness shoulder soreness anything where you can just sleep and heal they're all good right now for Denver eight days with essentially no contact mm-hmm. and it's not like they're gonna forget how to play basketball they're they're a game one no but but they could but they could come out they could come out tight from the nerves they could come out tight from the nerves uh there was 80, there was 82 games there. so there were 82 games four playoff games that they won in each series they lost two to uh, Phoenix lost Phoenix. one to Minnesota, so about ninety-seven games. Yeah, right. So this will be game ninety-eight. Ninety-eight games. They've gotten eight days rest. What? Meanwhile, Miami Jimmy Butler's ankles getting rolled every single night. I didn't. I can't recall a, a guy getting stepped on by his own teammate <laughs> more than Jimmy Butler did in Game Six and Seven. Bam stepped on him. I think Struess fell on him. Gabe Vincent fell on him. Davis will hurt his own ankle. They just were Yo, falling on top of each other. Do off not, so many rebounds. Do not, and I repeat, do not say the word ankle around Boston fans right now. <laughs> do not say that word because Jason Tatum's ankle to them defined game seven. No, Boston lost this series in games one, two, and three. <laughs> it's just. If you the 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 way I'm calling sweep for Denver against Miami, short of having the seven foot playmaker, Boston's team was built to beat Miami, but they just it's I maybe maybe I'm not seeing it right. It's right here, but. Rob Williams and Horford should have spent more time on the floor together because Miami had no answer for that. Because what you were doing, you could have gone, and I was I was saying this a lot as I was watching, especially the the that that their their, their comeback run. Because like I said, I missed a couple of games because I was sick. But the comeback run, games four, five, six, and seven. You put Horford and Robert Williams on the floor. You can still run smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That's your three offensive players. 
Horford is your smart screen guy who can also pick and pop. And then Williams is your, your rebounder. But instead, you run Grant Williams out there with Horford being your big man. And now Horford is your pick and pop guy. He's kicking it to Grant Williams, who went like 0 for 30, it seemed like, over the last couple of games. And then you also got him trying to rebound. So mm-hmm. Bam was killing him on the offensive rebounds. I'm like, just put Robert Williams in there. And you can put Robert Williams in there, throw the lobs to him, get you quick eight points off of just getting to the rim. Mm-hmm. Put the pressure on Miami because Miami didn't – they didn't run a big – at some point in game seven, I believe, I think Miami had Highsmith, Butler, Duncan Robinson, Vincent Struess on the floor. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Instead, Van Gundy was like, they're tiny. He was like, I mean, they're <laughs> NBA players, but this is – I know I, he's like I've I understand going small, but this is tiny. Ridiculous. And I'm yeah. like, and I'm like Boston, yo, come right back with your size. I don't need. I'm not worried about defending shooters on the road. Like shots are gonna fall, whatever the case may be. <coughs> well, Horford shot forty percent and twenty eight from three. That kind of helped because they they kept shooting so many threes <clears throat> because they didn't they didn't have they didn't have guys in position. All series long, Jalen Brown took way too many dribble up threes. Like he get a pass and just kind of dribble into a three. They just took way too many. So I guess I guess we got our answer now, right? We got our answer now. Who's better? I don't think it's about. I just, I just, I think the coaching philosophy was bad when they when he set the precedent of we need to be taking forty threes, not we need to shoot this percentage. Like, if he said, hey, we need to shoot 42% from three, that would have given the players a mindset of, like, all right, I need a good three. But Grant Williams shot so many wide-open corner threes, and every time he let one go, I was like, that's a brick. Yeah, Those red shoes were not helping him. I'm just looking at Uh, Stats America. Derek Derek Williams was – he was doing his thing. But when he – when you start – like Charles Barkley said it, he was like, they shot 71 from two in the first half and still jacked up a bunch of threes. And then they came back in the second half of game six and shot like 68% from two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that, my math, that's like 69, 70% from two. And then they had the six, the, 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 the Bill Russell six in the paint. And I'm watching the game last night. I'm like, get to that six. And shoot it from there. Every single time they got there, either they got fouled because Miami zone guys were just running across. Gabe Vincent was fouling every time Derek White took him to the cup. Struess was fouling every time he got anybody. If you had him on your hip, he was going to foul you. Bam out of Bayou was getting fouls because he was getting fouls off illegal screens. I'm like, all right, take us to his chest because I text you. I was like, yeah, he needs to have at least three fouls by the end of the second quarter if Boston has a chance because then you get them a cheap, quick foul early in the third, and now you can you can start grinding. Go to work. Go to work. Go to work. And by the way, I will have you know that Grant Williams shot 48% this series and 43 from three. Who? Grant Williams. Yeah. My guy. 
what his numbers <laughs> in games six and seven. <laughs> he probably was like eight for 12 in games one through five, but six <laughs> and seven, he missed every shot he put up. I just, I, I cannot recall him making less, at least the open ones. I'm like, I do not recall him knocking him. I, Horford hit a couple. Williams was playing. Uh, he was playing like a like a man who who he was playing like the star. <coughs> well, you know, Tatum, I think Tatum's ankle was. I mean, that did suck, but they should have they should have done better treatment at halftime. Well, well, like they shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. You know, we went over this. You know, they should have swept Atlanta. They should have probably beat Philly in five if they just prevent hard if, if Harden scores forty two points instead of 45 and doesn't hit a buzzer beater in game five, they beat Philly in five. Boston Boston just doesn't have a sense of urgency until, like we talked about Mamba mentality. Jason Tatum doesn't have Mamba mentality until you absolutely have to have it. Like there's no Mamba mentality. on the block with that bad ankle because Kobe Bryant would have been out there shooting threes. He was like, all right, mm-hmm. just get me on the block and I'm just going to pivot the shit out of his right foot and I'm going to, and he was gonna give you every shot he had in his bag off his right foot, mm-hmm. and he was gonna he was gonna let it fly. It was one point, so he rolled his ankle because I because like I didn't turn the game on until after he rolled his ankle, and he wasn't on the floor, and it was probably six minutes left in the first. And I was looking at the score, and I was looking at the shot. It was looking like nineties basketball out there, and that's like that's probably I think when you posted that, I mm-hmm. that's when I was getting you know getting settled in. I started watching the game. So I was like, I'm like, is he in foul trouble? Did he get a couple fouls? And then I saw the replay of the ankle. I'm like, okay, so his ankle's injured. I'm like, all right, well, tape it up, shoot it up, come back in the second quarter. And then when he came out from halftime and it still wasn't, I'm like, yo, what are the trainers doing? Because I've seen a lot of guys roll their ankle and it didn't look quite, not necessarily like the injury itself, because I don't mm-hmm. know what his pain level was. Mm-hmm. But you see guys roll their ankles during the game. And they get something torn off. Like you, you were just talking about Jimmy Butler. Yeah, just they get something. And then they because like even Jimmy Butler in that in the Knicks series when he rolled his ankle, he looked he looked hobbled, but he didn't get a break. He he rolled his ankle in the fourth, and they just had to leave him out there. But I think if he would have got if you'd have rolled his ankle in the first or second, he would have gone to the locker room mm-hmm. and just put the machine on it, tape it up some more, put a machine on it, and just did whatever they can do to get him to come out. Because when Jason Tatum came on the third, he still was limping. I'm like, all right, well, take him out. Get him back in the locker room. Do whatever you got to do. Retape it. Retie the shoe. Get him a new shoe. And just put Brogdon in and just ride with Jalen Brown, Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Horford, whatever the case should be. Just swap out one light-skinned basketball player for another one. Jalen Brown, my guy, 42% and 16%. Second one, of course, being three-pointers. He is at his best. He is at his best when he's slashing. Problem is, like I always say, he's always dribbling off his damn foot. Like I don't know. Like Last year in the finals, they beat Golden State. And he could just hang on to the ball. I'm not blaming the series on him. I'm just saying, like, that didn't help, obviously. But they would have had a great chance to win that series if he wasn't turning turning it over so much. So you would have thought, and maybe he did, but you would have thought that 
in the offseason, that would have been a point of emphasis. Like, I got to get these handles better, but he's also like 27 years old. So, you know, like he may be what he is at this point, you know. So, um, of course, they would dribble into the zone a lot too. Like, Miami was playing a 2 3 zone and he was trying to dribble through it as like this basic, <laughs> this simple, basic concept of breaking the zone is to make the zone move. You got to move a player or the ball. Because mm-hmm. that's the zone works because it just shifts. Mm-hmm. So the two guys up top, which Miami goes, will not be able to do to Denver, you you got to move, mm-hmm. and then you got to move a player opposite of the ball. That way, when it comes back around, Horford or somebody is standing in the corner waiting on the ball, and whoever is the defender, the high defender, or the defender down low in the two three, has to get from back over here all the way across. You got to discombobulate them, or you got to get somebody to the free throw line and just get the ball. They, they, they just don't the have it. Right there and won't even turn around and shoot. And it's like, why is no one saying, yo, if you get the ball right there at 14 feet in this 2-3 zone, just turn and shoot. They just don't shoot have ball. any IQ. Like like we were talking last week about, um, you know, are they going to break it up? Should they break it up? You know, all that stuff like that. And my answer was I would keep the two. But then almost everybody else could go. Like maybe keep Derek White because of the defense. You know, Brogdon could stay. But get Marcus Smart out of there, and you disagreed with that. But the point that I was trying to make was get another ball handler in there to where Tatum doesn't necessarily have to be the de facto point guard. He's he's good at it. But, you know, get somebody that can initiate offense. Like if they had somebody like Mike Conley, for instance, you know, he doesn't have to score or anything like that but he puts people where they need to be. He sets it up and he initiates it. Then you cook him with something. Whereas Marcus Smart is just as brain yeah, dead I mean, as them. I don't, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think a traditional point guard would have helped them because when Horford was catching the ball in the two, three zone. So you had two defenders at the free throw line extended for Miami. He was slashed in the middle. He get the ball like 14 feet. He was working off the concept of getting a good three-point shot. Mm-hmm. It felt like whenever they were pulling out that whiteboard on the Boston sideline, and I could be wrong, but I think Charles Barkley, he was screaming at the TV as much as I was screaming at my cousin. She was posting on Facebook, stop shooting so many damn threes, and she don't even like to cuss. I think she said, darn. <laughs> but even she was like, stop shooting so many threes, because Wolford was catching the ball up high with his back to the basket and just looking left and right, trying to get a pass to somebody like the zone didn't collapse in on him with the ball. But if he turns and shoots and he scores at a couple of times, now you have to switch up the zone. So now he shoots a couple of times and he, and he gets you four to six points off three shots. Cause he, he comes Gets big in the middle, like you just you just tell the big get to the middle, get your hands up, get the ball, turn, shoot. So now either the defender right at the rim, that's probably Bam, he has to step out. So now that guy you're running on the baseline to make the defense move, he's open. Mm-hmm. That's Derek White. That's Marcus Smart. But instead, you got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum up top waiting to get the ball back, and they were just running this this triangle away like looking away from the hoop the triangle is supposed to go towards the hoop like that's the whole point of moving the ball so you get a better shot at the hoop 
from either person in the triangle. Either of the three people need to be able to be a triple threat, hits the triangle, triple threat, all this other basketball stuff. is like you need to be in a position to score. If you got your whole head to the hoop, you're like, all right, we'll just stand here, wait for you to kick it back out to someone. And then Grant Williams standing in the corner, he's going to try to shoot the three over Jimmy. And it was like, nope, that didn't work. It was like, I just, it just was literally, I was like screaming. I was watching on my phone. I was just screaming at my phone, like, stop shooting the three. Cause they were shooting bad threes. <laughs> like, not even like they weren't even moving the defense. They just well, were well, like, oh, know, I'm dribbling, I'm shooting. I think Tatum has that, like, I can see over you. So I'm going to shoot over you attitude. Like, no matter who the defender is, I can get above you and I'm going to shoot it. Jalen Brown, I think, tries to force the action. You know, even when it's not. They were long. He was shooting like a lot of 25, 26 footers. And it's just weird because you're not even that good of a three point shooter to be doing that in the first place. And you're ice cold for days. He was Mm -hmm. ice cold for a week. The whole series. Yeah. He was 10%. I think I'm surprised he got to 16%. <laughs> he was ten percent. I think. Well, I think he hit a few in game, game six. He had a few in game six. Game four, he was at like ten percent, ten to twelve percent. Mm-hmm. So you're pulling up, and he was like, like Jason Tatum, you know, having a triple threat. And he was like, he jab, jab, and then dribble, side step three, like that. You could tell it's a shot that he works on, and you could tell with the dribble, side step, left or right, it was a rhythm shot. If you're off, you're off. Jalen Brown, it was a couple of possessions where I think he just got the ball 12, 13 seconds on the shot clock. And like there was no action. And he took a dribble. He would just shoot it. And it was like, yeah, pull up at the free throw line or something instead of dribbling it off your foot. Or, you know what I mean? Like force the zone to collapse, you know? So he, I just don't understand. Like, I, like, I don't know. I don't want to do the speculation thing, but I wonder. Like we we speculated about this a little bit last week, so I don't want to rehash it. But but basically, like, is there something that we don't know that's going on or some kind like of behind beef? the scenes? No, not necessarily a beef, but just maybe philosophy with they just tune out Missoula at times. No, I just I I I don't think Missoula. I'm not sure he's an effective communicator. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I talked about. Like he, Eric Sposher said after game six, we would tip this game off right now and run another 48 minutes, but we'll wait 48 hours. But those guys in that locker room, if we could play it right now, we would play right now. So as a, as a, as a person who's listening to him, I can receive that information. I can, I can envision myself being in that locker room post game six and him standing up there saying that, and getting people around and like and like people just kind of like a rallying cry. Missoula talks like a robot. And he's like, it's it like it's like a like a forced Popovich Terminator kind of thing. And it's like, I don't know if because I think Brad Stevens was a very he was a communicator, Midwestern guy, butler. You could tell he's one of like like a wholesome coach. I think Emma Adoka is a big guy, commands the room, like six four, big body. Mm-hmm. Played uh, in the league. Played in the league, mm-hmm. tough, you know, gritty player. So 
you can you can get he can walk into a room and challenge Jalen Brown, or he can walk into a room and and just commute the way he communicated with the press. Missoula, for some reason, it just it just felt robotic, and the way they played it was robotic. It did it had very little flow to it. The way the ball didn't move with a lot of flow. The plays he drew up didn't have a lot of originality to it. So how it did they win the three games that they won? They won the three games because I think they're a more talented team. But even with that, in game six, they still almost blew it because when they went up 98, they went up 98 to 88. I think Miami called a timeout, right? Boston's they had the ball coming back up 10. And so this is the opportunity to drop a play and go up 12, you know, 11, 12, or 13. depends on whatever kind of shot you got, whether it's free throws or two mm-hmm. or three. And the play was like another three. It just it just didn't look like he had a play. It was like, yeah, listen, this is where we step on their throat. Game six. We go up, we're going up 12 off of this play. We're gonna get this lob to Robert Williams. We're gonna keep pounding them inside because when you had that lead and you go up 12 with four or five minutes left in the game, that can that can make a team. So you know what? You go up 12, you get to 16. It's like, okay, we got it, we might have to call off the horses. But you didn't, you allowed them to take the lead. <laughs> and Jimmy and Jimmy shot five for 21 that game. He was ice cold. But he just came through in the clutch. Once the clock hit two minutes, he said, we got to go get this. And and I think Boston got robotic. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything. And they carried it over to game seven, man. It was it was bad basketball to watch for a group of talented players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I like your point that you made in our uh, pre-meeting, you know, that if if he was a third year coach versus this being the first year, they just had three coaches in four years, five years or whatever it was. He's out of there. Like, I don't think he needs to be fired. You know, it's his first year. Let him find himself, you know, and he was um, thrust into the position and he was thrust into the position. Yeah. He didn't have a full off season to, to implement his style and all that stuff. So he'll have that now. And now you evaluate him going forward, but looking at the East, you know, if Boston comes back as is next season, I still think they can get to the conference finals again. Yeah, they, they should be able to win two. They should be back as a one, two, or three seed. I mean, maybe Milwaukee gets the one. I don't know. Philly's losing some players, but as long as they can keep Embiid, I think they can, they can compete for two or three. I mean, Cleveland, the Knicks. So you're top four because it, no, it wasn't really like a lot of down teams in the East that are normally really good. Like Toronto's not going to be that good next year. Detroit will just historically not be that good. Chicago keeps spending his free agent money, but they can't <laughs> quite get right. I don't maybe, know how. Maybe I don't know how you have, you have Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Caruso, Lonzo Ball. Vucevic. I mean, you have you have a 2K team. Well, Lonzo ain't there, though. I mean, yeah, Lonzo keeps getting hurt, but you know, hopefully, you know, he can get get his knee right. But even with that, you still got Caruso. You got the old boy with, with the fro, Kobe Williams, or whatever his name is. So I don't Yeah, Kobe White. You got my yeah, guy Patrick Williams. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't see any... I don't think Orlando's going to make this jump. 
They might so get to you, a play in. Atlanta is exploring trading Trey Young. So I can only imagine, especially I know people have been talking about them going to the Lakers. I can't imagine what you would get back from the Lakers mm-hmm. that would make you a top four team in the East. Mm-hmm. So the, the same top four to five teams are probably going to be locked in. Milwaukee, Philly, Boston. Milwaukee with a new coach. Cleveland. Philly with a new coach. Knicks. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks. I think so your top five teams out of the East are probably going to be your same top five. Yeah, so I Milwaukee say. Milwaukee be in that mix. I say give it one more year. Like at some point you do have to say like, hey, we've been doing this for six or seven years. And the Toronto effect. When they right. Get rid of the Rosen yeah. Like, like at some point you will oh, reach that, but I don't think it's there yet just because of what we just said. You know, the East is there to be taken next year. Yeah, it's for the taking. Yeah. You know, unless Miami's going to go out here and do something that they don't do or that we haven't seen them doing. If Miami time. goes out against Kyrie for scoring and they can keep, if Miami has the money to get Kyrie, then they can keep their defensive core and that same tenacity and realistically work Kyrie into their offense. Then yeah, then they'll, they'll be in the mix for that in that top five. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 might move the Knicks out and move mm-hmm. Miami in as one of yeah. the teams that's vying for one, two, three, or four position. Yeah, so I think that like, you know, October first. 2023. I mean, obviously we haven't had free agency yet, but as of this moment, I think I'm looking at Boston as the favorite in the East. I wouldn't make him the favorite because I don't know if the coach, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it was a coaching, uh, his, I don't want to say ignorance uh, or immaturity. His inexperience. Inexperience. That's the word I was looking for. I was looking for, look, I don't know if it's his coaching inexperience that costs or, or, or not necessarily cost them the series, but I don't know if the coaching and experience is why we saw such glaring mistakes. Mm-hmm. They got there in spite of him. Or if it's his philosophy, because if it's his philosophy and that's why Al Horford never turned to shoot the floater, because his philosophy is on this play, you got to kick it out for three. If that's his philosophy, then he's not going to make it. He's they're gonna he's gonna be gone by January because he's <laughs> expendable. Because not like they picked him, right? They're not like they went out and got him like how well, Philly well, just well, got Nick Nurse. Well, that's why like I they, said they I think it hurt internally because they had an internal riff mm-hmm. and they wanted to show solidarity it versus. Well, well, that's why, like I said, I think I think it hurt because not only did they lose Ime coming off the finals run, but they lost Damon Stoudemire. They lost Will Hardy. So. I they, think they, they, they should have really they should have made amends with Ime Doka. You know, I think that they shouldn't, I think that they didn't have enough at the time when they extended Missoula to do it, but they had to because they let Ime go. You know, so they so they, like they whatever he, like we never got the details, but whatever he did couldn't have been that bad because he just got hired in Houston. Yeah. And we are in a we are in a ultra less than a year later. We're in a very we're in a highlighted time with with men in these 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 public positions whose when their conduct is sexually related and is de- determined to be misconduct, these guys don't get second chances and jobs. They get like when's the last time you heard anybody doing a movie with James Franco? Yeah. 
I haven't even heard any of the details of what happened. I just heard he was like a tyrant on set or whatever. But Seth Rogen's completely distanced himself from James Franco in the mm-hmm. Hollywood realm. So Ime Doka gets hired by Houston, and Houston already had their own problems with uh Fatita, the, the owner. So it's mm-hmm. like they already have issues, and then you have the yeah, whole connection with, with James Harden. So they already have like this 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 kind of odd. Yeah, I thought he was gonna do a year or two. I thought he was gonna and do a year or two with somebody's right hand man. Like, yeah, I thought he was gonna be a right hand man for somebody for two years. So it must have literally simply been an affair uh, or something. Or an affair, mm-hmm. and then somebody on the ownership group is like, "I don't want him here," and it was like, "So you just want to hurt your pockets?" <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm like, let's keep I, it on I, 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 like, 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 like I said, I think I think when they Yama goes to, to to Charlotte, and they are evaluated five hundred million dollars higher simply because they got the number one pick. So when it comes down to it, when it's business, like listen. Don't bring your girl around me, true player for real. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I think I think they just painted themselves into a corner. You know, they extended, they gave him the extension way too early. You know, before they even really probably knew what type of coach he was, and you know, you hadn't seen a playoff run yet. Like if you if you waited, like at Texas, you not extended him today. Like like like. Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying like like if at you Texas, didn't do it already. Yeah, like at Texas, you know, Rodney Terry came in when Chris Beard got fired for allegedly biting his girl and all that stuff he took over and he got him to the elite eight so it was like well we got to extend him you know like look at this tournament run he's a good recruiter we can figure this out whereas with missoula you know do you really want four coaches in five or six years so they painted you, themselves you into a picture yeah you definitely wouldn't extend him this morning like mm-hmm. if they didn't give him an extension already he wouldn't, they wouldn't have had a conversation this morning and they wouldn't have slid him a contract based off of how games one, two, three, six, and seven went. And the Philly series. <laughs> and the, yeah, and the Philly series. You know, and like, the one, fact two, three, that he six, lost and to Atlanta. Seven. Yeah, and, and they didn't sweep Atlanta. But, you know, uh, so let's transition here. So, you know, NFL has come up with a new kickoff rule. How are you feeling about that? Awful, absolutely awful. I think it's dumb. I think it's <laughs> I think it's so dumb. I'm all like I'm all for the fair catch, but you get it when you catch it. Like you you don't get, and I understand that college has implemented this rule. And Pat McAfee said this. I want to give him credit. He was like, You can't keep implementing rules to and I'm paraphrasing to like deter potential future lawsuits because then the rules never stop. Like you'll, cause you'll say something like, well, we could get sued in 15 years for back injuries. So you no longer allowed to blindside sack the quarterback. You got to just tap them on the shoulders. That could be the new rule because you're worried about in 15 years getting sued for guys having back injuries from getting hit in the back from standing in the pocket. Like, like the rules won't stop. The fair catch rule, and I, I know the, the kickoffs haven't really been, they play some factor. Getting it, kicking it, getting the touchback, getting the 25-yard line, that's the perk. That's the biggest perk you can get other than now you're adversely affecting the game. Because if I get a nice pooch, nice pooch kick, and the guy catches at the 9-yard line, and he's like, all right, cool, we're going to move it up 16 yards 
just because you waved your arm. I'm like, I purposely kicked it that way so we can trap you guys in the corner, make you maybe scramble, maybe you let it bounce and hope it goes in the end zone. Like we we created this scenario where you have indecision because the onside kick is basically luck. Like you have to kick it off of a guy's face mask while he's blinking or not paying attention to get an onside kick. I think it's something like a 98% success rate for the receiving team. Aaron Rodgers hates onside kicks. Well, <laughs> that's because the dude who jumped up, literally the, the rule is set up to where it's supposed to be unsuccessful. You can't have that many people run up, so you're only you're only getting, I think it's like five players on each team that are actually making contact. So it's 22 dudes on the field. Only 10 dudes are hitting each other. They only get a little 10-yard gap. Granted, that's a lot of space. Mm-hmm. But most of those guys are just holding back because they have two layers of dudes to catch the ball. So you already you've already put teams at a disadvantage by that rule. And now the fair catch thing is like you implemented a rule, it's like the taunting rule. Like you 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 implemented a rule that adversely affects the game that was never a problem prior to you putting the rule in place. So that that's 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 the only thing with me is like were we having problems with the kickoff mm-hmm. prior to? And I don't know if they so, have enough time to change the rule because it's so, like I don't think anyone likes it. So the good news is, well, I think they're going to keep it. But the good news is, is that it's supposed to just be a year trial to see how it goes and if injuries, because allegedly kickoffs provide the most concussions from what I was reading on pro uh, article on pro football. It's a te- like there's. George Kittle said he was like, I'm basically in a car accident every single week when I'm mm-hmm. playing tight end. So their goal, or not their goal, but their thought is it would drop returns down from 38% of the time to 31% of the time. Now you now you're taking a roster spot away from a guy because that's how that's how Turpin for Dallas made the team in the preseason mm-hmm. last year. And, and returning kickoff, those two kicks in that game. Kickoff returns are my favorite play in football. It's high risk, high reward. You know, we saw Jacoby Jones in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin. Your, your guy, uh, Corderell, you know, Devin Hester. Devin Hester opening you know. kickoff with a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if he would have fair caught that. Yeah, Ted Ginn against Florida, more. even though he broke his leg on the play. But, you know. Celebrating. But it was still awesome. Yeah, but it was that still was awesome. Crazy. That was the craziest thing. And I was yeah, so wrong on that game, too. Yeah, they proceeded to get losers. stomped out. But, yeah, like, so – First of all, NFL, don't talk to me about player safety. When we got Thursday night football, you added an extra game to the regular season. You got dudes going over to London for fish and chips. You know what I mean? Don't tell me nothing about safety. That's first and foremost. Don't piss my pocket and tell me it's raining. (laughs) Second of all, second of all, kickoff returns are exciting. You know, even if it doesn't break for a touchdown, you even if you get a 40-yard return. It's a big momentum swing. You know, it can change the tide of a game, you know, where a team might – things might be going wrong, but you get that one break. And now all of a sudden that sets you up. You're cooking with grease, right? You know, third of all, um, it says that uh, – so Jeff Miller, the, the exec of the NFL or NFL exec, 
He says that the kickoff play has the highest rate of concussion year after year, and the NFL can't do nothing. So what do we do about punt returns? Like in my my son's youth football league, you can return kickoffs. You can't return punts. So you can do a punt option where they just move the ball up, but then it changes where you couldn't even you couldn't even actually kick a punt. You had to do the punt option. So it was like you're not even gonna give me a chance to bury the team deep because you're worried you're worried about this mythical thing safety. I'm like. On the next play, they're gonna line up and hit each other. Like they're gonna <laughs> run a pass play, they're gonna run a run play, they're gonna have a block play. The kids, like they're going to hit each other all game long. I feel so, like that thing that Troy Aikman said. Make that any sense. I feel like that thing that Troy Aikman said on Monday Night Football that I'm not going to repeat right now, but that's what I feel like right now. It's like I mean, <laughs> my yeah, we're not gonna say it's gonna get bad before we really get going. <laughs> But my like I said, my issue, like I said, you know, we're we're a couple of veterans. I remember coming to work and like I was deployed, I was deployed to Iraq, and this guy was from Iowa, Iowa Guard. And at this point, I think I'm on month like five, and I'm on my way out. I got like maybe another month and some change before my replacement's coming out. These guys were doing like six-week rotations. So when I'm deployed, every Sunday, I'll get my haircut. It marked, I got this many haircuts left until I leave. So if I'm there for six months, it's 24 haircuts, whatever the number is. So every amount of number of weeks before I leave, every Sunday, my tradition was I went get my haircut. So we had a shop van, had a driver to the BX get my haircut. So we would go to lunch, we get turnover, go to lunch, and I'd go on Sundays. So this guy comes in and he made he just he types up these these rules. And one of the rules was you can only take the shop truck to the BX twice a week. The BX is the, the base exchange for all you non-military folks. It's just a store base, has your Pizza Hut, your food court, Burger Kings. Even while deployed, you know, you have all the stuff like that. Then you have your rec center, stuff like that, the barbershops in there. So he just comes up with this rule saying you can only take the truck to the VX twice a week. We're on 12-hour shift, six six days on, one day off, 12-hour shift. People aren't going to the VX like on a whim. And it's six people in the shop. We had two test stations. You only need four people to really run two test stations. So I'm like, why you come up with this rule as if the shop truck not being here was a problem? We don't go pick up our parts on a whim. We're not dispatched from anywhere else. Like we don't use a truck for other than going to eat and going to do turnover, like and doing getting your laundry. Like that's always a truck for. So him making that rule is like, I'm, I ignored it because I didn't. I'm like, listen, I'm in the middle of Iraq. I'm already bothered enough. I slapped the hell out of you in this shop <laughs> and and go right back to Utah and be just just fine. Career will keep going, and I will tell him why. Um, <laughs> sometimes you gotta let people know shit like that. But it was like you implemented this rule in order for you to be the only person that wants to enforce it to a bunch of people who won't care. And I'm that I was that person. I'm like, no, nah, I don't care about that. I'm going to BX and I get up and I go get my haircut. I did it every week. This the last six weeks he was there, I went every Sunday. I didn't care about it at all. Unfortunately, NFL people can't do that. But this rule is implemented for a bunch of 
players and coaches. Like, listen, we didn't care about this because guys are still going to hit each other because you're going to kick it high because you're still going to do the pooch. You're still going to kick it deep. Guys are still going to run into each other. They're still going to run into each other on the punt. They're still going to run each other on first They're going to knock each other out of bounds on the punt return. There, it's it, People are going to hit each other. You make the best possible helmet, and you give the people who are playing the sport all the real credible information about what happened to them in the event that they get a concussion. You get a concussion, sit that person down with the neurologist and really tell them, this is what your brain is supposed to, a normal brain looks like for a 27-year-old. This is what yours looks like after this concussion. Because of this, you have to miss this amount of weeks and be mm-hmm. evaluated. And like they it. they signed up and they consented to this. And they know, know you, you you're I'm running you're a 220 pound dude running to a 300 pound dude. It's gonna happen. Out. It's gonna happen. You know, we've like seen we've seen wide receivers get knocked out. I think it was uh Anquan Bolden got hit in the end zone and he had like a nasal injury. You know, <laughs> like a like some kind of sinus injury or something. You know, and like he used to break his nose every week. Yeah, you know these things happen, and you know what? Like the fan wants this stuff. Like we don't want the concussions, but you want to see football played as pure as possible. You know, we're already protecting quarterbacks. I understand why. You know, I don't like it, but, but I understand why. Tom Brady against Atlanta last year was a prime example of like. You guys are you, you're not focused on the right and thing. It was the Chiefs and uh Raiders when Troy Aikman made that comment on Monday Night Football. You know, it was the same thing. It was just like, what do you want the defender to do? Like, you know, like and then then they came up with the a couple of years ago, they came up with the body weight rule. It was yeah. like, so you want this 310-pound dude to be so aerodynamic that as he's tackling somebody, he can somehow contort his body. Chris Jones in that Raiders Chiefs game, he had the ball. He strip sacked Derek Carr. So at that point, Derek Carr was tackling a runner, not getting sacked. Mm-hmm. Chris Jones had the ball. And I was sitting there once. It was another one of those things. It's like, I cannot be the only person with two good eyes seeing this. Because mm-hmm. when the call was made and they reviewed it, it should be like, well, and further review. Chris Jones became a runner when he took the ball away from Derek Carr on the way to the ground. So he became a runner and Derek Carr was a tackler. There's no protection of the tackler. <laughs> yeah. Nobody it, would say he's like, oh, you get you fear to run it back, you can't run the corner over and land on him to try to score right, right. down. No, and, and I get it. The quarterbacks are the faces. You know, the quarterbacks are, I guess the reason that people spend money they're the most recognizable dudes on the field so I Atlanta versus the Jets a three is a $300 ticket because Aaron Rodgers plays for the Jets last year it was $37 yep yep so so I so I absolutely I absolutely get why you want to protect the quarterback even though I don't like the rules myself but with this rule out like outside of so so if you're going to make a rule change like you got to have tons of empirical evidence to make this happen. Now you have the number saying that the concussions allegedly, you have the number saying that the concussions are the biggest injury that comes from, and it comes from kickoffs, but that would work if a dude didn't get a concussion coming across the middle, you know, a tight end could come across the middle, George Kittle, he could come across the middle 
go for a duck trying to avoid a hit, get popped in the ear hole, and he could have a concussion. So, you know, like you cannot legislate concussions out of the game unless you play some you, kind of tag. Even if you play flag football, they'll still run it to each other. So, who's going to get a concussion? Yeah. And, I mean, soccer these, players get concussions. Yeah. It's a thing. Basketball it, players get concussions. It's a, it's a non contact sport. And, and every sport, you know, that is a contact sport like this, you know, football, basketball, you know, all these sports have like, gone the way of the offense you know so so the product is it stinks we just watch football because we're fans and we're used to it it's something that we grew up doing so we continue to do it but this is not the football that i signed up for it definitely is my my issue with it (coughs) is like i understand player safety on individual plays but I also know that if a guy plays a game Sunday at 125 in the afternoon, that game ends at 430 in Denver, but yet he has a Thursday night game in Miami. I don't know how much rest and recovery this individual is getting between Sunday afternoon and Thursday night, but yet you have one of those games scheduled. Every single week. Yeah, and it's not as if the Thursday night games are always rivalry games. You know, like not maybe pivotal. Like the no, no, seventeenth well, well, game of the season. Well, well I'm just talking whole... about. I'm just yeah, expanding on your point. Like you know what I mean. Like if Buffalo and the Jets play each other, that's fine. But having like Washington go to Chicago might not be fine, depending on who they played the week before. Like you said, so. You know, I, it just doesn't. And then they don't sense. have it set up because at first I remember they started. And now they're in, flexing. <laughs> they started in like November, so the teams that play right. a couple of months, and then the Thursday night game started in November. I'm like, well, at least give it to where maybe a team can come off a bye week. I know early in the season you can't really do it, but by like November, all the teams will come off a bye week into that Thursday game. So that way at least they just get they get a, a little bit of an extension mm-hmm. or it's going into their bye week. So if you play Thursday, you... Well, you if know, you play you Thursday, whole... you got like 10 days off or something because you don't play until the next Sunday. Exactly. It's something, something along those lines. That lets me know you're really, you know, champion this this concept of player safety. But I want to see if how... you the, play how a game Sunday and another like... Thursday... Or if you play a game, if Jacksonville gets hot, because Jacksonville is one of those they they play two games in London. Say they say they just have one of those years where it's like you got your quarterback, it's his third year, second year with a new coach and a new system, and Jacksonville is rolling seven and one, eight and one, and it's like, ooh, we might want to get Jacksonville on TV. Yeah, but they just had two back to back games in London. Yeah, but can we get them on Thursday? So now they leave London. And they play their next game against, you know, Tennessee or something on Thursday because they're the new hot team where they were supposed to be playing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Is it player safety then, or is it like, man, I think these Raiders will be through the roof? We watch preseason football. You don't have to do anything different. It's like Oreo cookies. They don't have to change those ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every once in a while you can dip it in white fudge. I'm good with that. But for the most part, just give me a nice double stuff Oreo cookie. I'm good with that. 
Yeah, like dudes are, good dudes, with that. What, was it was it Odell Beckham that got hurt during preseason one year? Uh, like somebody got hurt. It was a big name player that got hurt during preseason, and I know they cut a preseason game off to be able to add the new game, the seventeenth game. Yeah, they you took know. that off. So, but so now I think now I think now they're good with players. Essentially, not anyone but, but not, not playing so sure. any of the three preseason games. But I'm not so sure that we won't have an 18th game in the next 10 or 15 years. Man, 10, 10, 10 months? You mean next year <laughs> when they have when they have this owners meeting next February it's or CBA, baby? <laughs> like they getting that they getting that 18th game. I turn 43 next September. They'll have an 18th game before I turn 43. Because <laughs> it's like a billion dollars. Like Player every safety. game, like that that additional game is a billion dollars for the owner, the ownership groups of these 32 teams to split. A billion dollars. So they're getting that 18th game because what they're going to do, they're going to get a player as a point on a revenue. So they're going to go from 52, I think it's like 52, 48 split owners to players. They're going to go either 50, 50 or 50 and a half and 49 and a half. And it will give the players a couple more percentage points on the revenue. They're going to give them some other kind of guarantee. They're not going to get rid of the franchise tag. They're going to throw some other BS and they're going to throw the 18th game in and they're going to sell it with like, oh, we'll give you another bye week. So now the Super Bowl is going to be President's Day weekend. Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> The Pro Bowl is gonna be Valentine's don't Day. Don't let Valentine's Day. Don't let the Super Bowl end up on Valentine's Day. <laughs> you got some decisions to make, buddy. <laughs> Who do you love? I don't envy that. So you know, <laughs> you but know. Yeah. But and I but yeah. and I can't I can't fault the players for want for wanting to get their money, but like they'll they'll throw them this idea of player safety. Just like you're not protecting the players. You're protecting against. A potential ten billion dollar lawsuit you're gonna I, get. I don't know why they're. Do. I don't know why they're advertising. <coughs> I don't know why they're advertising that it's a one year trial run. Like if they do it, they're doing it. I mean, they changed the 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 pass interference rule after one year. They dialed back the taunting. I think they still call it, but they dialed it back a lot because it was it was excessive. Like but I don't think they changed the rules. I don't think they changed rules per se. I think like they there was just conversation of like, hey, this is getting out of hand, so the refs just chilled. But they get, no, you I mean you remember the, the pass interference review mm -hmm. where you could challenge a pass interference call? They got rid of that. Yeah, they got rid of that. Yeah, yeah a, because it was like the ref's call, not yeah. going to change his mind. Right. It's like you. It's like you want a piece of president and ask him to review the evidence and give a decision on himself. Like no, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah, so you know, but let's throw that in the rear view and talk about Colorado throwing the Pac 12 in the rear view potentially. So, one, is this going to happen? Two, why is it going to happen? And three, what? I mean, if you don't have USC, if you don't have Southern California in the Pac 12, what are you selling? Like, I mean, what 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 are you selling as a? Can't be Seattle. I mean, I, I like Seattle, but it can't be Seattle. <coughs> I mean, I've been to Seattle. It's pretty dope. But if you don't have the two LA schools in the Pac-12, 
and the team that keeps winning it is in the mountains. And then you have the new up-and-coming team, Colorado, the other side of the mountain. <laughs> it's like nothing about the Pacific is even related to your conference. Maybe you get Cal to step it up and they get better. Maybe Stanford gets better. San Diego but State. <laughs> San Diego State. But if you if you don't have if you don't have UCLA or USC, then you are you're gonna either overpay to keep the teams you have, or you're gonna get undersold because the SEC has everybody. <coughs> the Big Ten has everybody, and the Big Twelve got everybody else, and everybody else is fighting for scraps mm-hmm. between the ACC. The ACC, the thing that they have is they have a lot of people on the East Coast. The East Coast is just packed with football fans, so you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna lose your fan base. So your numbers that you present to these networks are gonna be like, look, look how many people watched our games. And then you play a lot. Like ACC is basically, they're basically the Southeastern Conference. SEC light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just they're all they're all the way east. So you kind of get that same fanatic fan base. It's not as you know those are fanatics as the SEC schools, the Georgias, LSU's, Texas A&M's. But then you have Texas. The state of Texas, and they basically can just say, Oh, we're a hot Texas football school. So Houston can make that jump to the Big 12. Because like, oh, we've been good for the last few years. They win that the the AAC and now they're up there. You know, so if you're Colorado, if you're Utah, like you have to uh you gotta evaluate, like, okay, where's the money coming in? Especially if you're Colorado, because you got to pay Dion. Yeah, they ain't have the money when he signed, you know. And also, uh, Rick George, the AD of Colorado, said that this decision wasn't going to happen without talking to Dion. And that's where I kind of pumped my bricks. And I said, well, yeah, that works if you think Dion's going to be there five, ten years from now. You know, why you're trying to, you know, get acclimated into the Big 12 and take it over or whatever you think you're going to do. He ain't going to be how, there, but... How good can Colorado really be, though? I mean, Colorado, I mean, you know, 32 years ago, shared a national title. You know, they won the Big 12, you know, they won the Big 12 in 2001. They had two losses, and people advocated for them to play Miami for the national title. So, I mean, there is potential, and he's going to... Airman first class. You know, he's going he's to get... Tyree. He's going to get recruits, especially with the transfer portal, the hype, you know, but... but now it's put up a shut up time. You know what I mean? Like if he does all this, all this stuff that he did this year, and I know the schedule is tough. They're starting out at TCU. You know, uh, we talked about they play USC and Oregon back to back. You so, had him. I think you had him seven and five, and I think best case scenario had him eight and four, right? Right. So Something we, along I mean, those that was lines. one of our that was yeah. one of our first one of our first episodes. Yeah. That's so really, I don't know. I don't know how sustainable it is without. If he doesn't get 10 wins this year, I don't know if you get the same transfer hype. If they go six and six, he out of there. Well, and, and to answer your question more frankly, 
Um, you know, the the Big Eight was in existence. That was the precursor to the Big 12 when they merged with the Southwest Conference. You know, the Big Eight was in existence from 1948 to 1995. And Colorado won five titles, three that were unshared. So three by themselves and two shared titles. And they've been in the Pac-12. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they, uh, the Big 12 was from 1995 to 2010. Colorado won one Big 12 title, which was the title that I referenced. And they've been in the Big 10, I mean, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 ever since 2010 and have not won it. Like they played in the title game once and lost to Washington. But, you know, so Colorado had a buzz, you know, like, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, 10 divided by two, I could divide. That's one less every state, you know. But, um, but you know, but the Pac-12 is in trouble, you know, because as you mentioned, they lost the Los Angeles schools. So now here we are four months after we debuted. How did you – who fumbled that deal? And they still don't have a deal. They still don't have it. They still don't have a deal right now. The deal runs out next year. And you remember, one of my get it off my chest was about them talking to the CW. You know, so so like so the so the Pac-12 is going to end up more probably more streaming than they are traditional TV. Like they're probably going to be on Apple TV with the MLS trying to get seen. You know, um, they're they're probably not going to better be, come up with another Ted Lasso show or something to drive a soccer buzz. You know, they got I mean they they got Fox right now, but I don't know what that looks like going forward. You know, so the SEC's got their deal, the Big Ten's got their deal. The ACC is uh, stuck, <laughs> for lack of better words. Uh, the Big 12 got their deal, and initially when the Pac-12 started talking about getting a new deal, they were the ones bragging, saying that they were going to get a better deal than what the Big 12 got. You know, so But from what I've been reading and just keeping up with this, Utah seems to be the holdup you know, with the whole four-corner schools. Utah seems to be the one that's hesitant and pulling it back. But the problem with you for Utah is if one goes, you better hop along. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They can't say that they yeah, can't, you can't stay alone. Yeah, because what you gonna do? Get Colorado State to replace Colorado? Like you're already trying to talk about bringing in San Diego State. You're already reaching to Texas to get SMU potentially. So you know if you're a Utah fan, does that sound appealing? You know, going to Dallas to play TC I mean if SMU. You can get- if you can keep if you can keep the Pac-12 winner plays the Rose Bowl, if they can keep that, I don't know how they brokered that deal. I don't know what that conversation was, but if they can keep that deal to where the Pac-12 champion plays the Rose Bowl and you get that New Year's Eve, New Year's Day bowl, and you have that just that piece of football, college football lore. You have the state of California because what a bowl game is. If you can keep that, then I think they can they can just get all the schools in California to just stay in the Pac-12 because the talent base is California. Mm-hmm. Your 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 top quarterbacks are coming out of California because it's a big baseball state and they and it's warm and those guys train year round. When these guys leave school early and they go prepare for the draft, they go to California and they have guys like John Beck and Jordan Palmer. And what's the guy, the other guy, 
uh, George, something I forgot his name, the other quarterback guru. All these guys are pretty much based out of Southern California. So they get a lot of the top quarterback talent throughout the state. So if recruiters, coaches can recruit and keep your top quarterback talent in California, you keep your Pac-12 intact, you take the best deal you can get. Don't look at and count the SEC's money. Don't count the Big 12's money. Don't count the Big 10's money. What is the best Pac-12 deal we can get? Can we keep that? Can we keep California? Can we keep Oregon? And then can you keep your Utah and Colorado is so that that, that gets you a little bit west. Mm-hmm. And that keep that gives you prime. Utah's been your Pac-12 champion the past few years. A lot of NFL draft picks come out of the Utah program. So you need to just keep all of that in-house. If you can't, then Utah is going to take a nice deal if they can get an opportunity to leave because they're essentially, like I said, it was the former Mountain West. You have teams like Boise State. They'll just have to just keep connecting with the teams that are east. And then maybe you have Utah's in the Big Ten all of a sudden, and they're playing at the big house every year. And they bring the cachet from being a Pac-12 champion three out of those five years, or maybe they go on a real run and they get a you know they get a college football playoff. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, like, with the California schools leaving, you know, with the LA schools, you know, how much is this going to hurt? you know, Utah and the Arizona, not necessarily Colorado because prom reaching in the portal, but Utah and the Arizona schools, how badly does that hurt them? If they can keep the, the California talent, like Bryce Young and CJ Strada from California. Mm -hmm. If they would have gone to Cal and Stanford and those games would have been on TV. DJ Uyunglele. He went all the way to South Carolina, mm-hmm. and then he transferred back. I think now he's at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can keep your West Coast quarterback talent, because that drives the market. Trevor Lawrence was from Georgia. He went to South Carolina. Deshaun Watson's from Georgia. He went to South Carolina. Dylan Raiola is from Nebraska. He went to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young with Alabama. Two was from Hawaii with the Alabama. So you have to figure out a way for people to land at LAX, land in San Francisco, land at one of these airports in California, and mm-hmm. stay there. You mm-hmm. let people fly out of the state. You let all your talent fly out of the state. Because Jared Goff, when he was at Cal, they were on TV all the time, and he was known as the he was going to be the number one pick. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went to Cal. Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch. So you, you just have like you have all this talent. Uh Kevon Thibodeau, he went up to Oregon, but mm-hmm. he's from California. So long as you can keep it on the West Coast, then you're fine. Like Mariota is from Hawaii. He went to Oregon. Mm-hmm. That still that that keeps your whole Pacific connection. You you got it all together still, versus Mariota's going to Penn State. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, man! You can't, you can't get this guy to California. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out. <coughs> I'm trying to figure out what the end game for the Big Twelve is because it sounds like they're more basketball centric at this point, or their commissioner wants to be more basketball centric. 
you know, because I know that he really values the Arizona program. But then you got uh, rumors that came out last year that the Big 12 was going to talk to Gonzaga. They were going to invite Gonzaga potentially. Gonzaga doesn't have football. How does that work? Then there was a story last week saying that they were looking at UConn. You know, so like I don't know if you're trying to have Colorado and UConn in the same conference. And that's not really moving the needle. You, you know, it's not moving the needle because UConn's football is even worse than what I gave you for Colorado. You know, I like, think so, weren't they like they were playing like an FCS schedule, right? A few years back. So they, they weren't they, even playing like they were like playing like one double A or some so, kind so of they, yeah, so, they, so they were they were FCS. They came up, I believe it was around 2004. They came up to the big east because they were a Big East founding member back when they were Connecticut and not UConn yet, you know, um, they came up and Villanova also had a chance to come up as well, but Villanova didn't make the move. So UConn came up, did the Big East thing. Uh, Big East fell apart. AAC is in here now, you know, they were an AAC member and then they went back to the Big East for their basketball and their football is independent. So, you know, but the good news is they got Jim Moore now as their football coach, Jim Moore Jr., so, you know, they had a good season this year. They went to a bowl game for the first time in five years. So football could be on the come up, but once Jim Moore wins eight, nine games, he's out of there. You know, so UConn won the national championship, obviously, in basketball this year. You know, so if you could get a conference, you already got Baylor and Kansas. You know, we'll add, you know, West Virginia. You know, now TCU's coming up. Now you add potentially – Arizona's basketball program and UConn's basketball program, then hey, but all you're doing to some degree with UConn is re- in, if you invite Gonzaga, you know, you're just repeating what, the reason that the Big East died in the first place because they had all the football schools tied to Seton Hall and Georgetown and Providence and it just didn't work. So, but this guy, you know, he comes from Rock Nation and everything. So, you know, he's all about the big splashy move. And he, 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 that's what he wants to do, potentially. Yeah, but as long as, like I said, as long as you can lock in, because I I think college football is still more regional with the idea that it's more national. It's like, nah, a few teams are nationally needle movers. The LSU... When they have a star quarterback, when they don't, they're not on TV a lot. When they had Joe Burrow and they had that historic season and Ed Ogeron and his whatever he was saying, yeah, they were box office. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban, box office in Alabama. But it was some years on the front end of that that Alabama wasn't – it was a lot of people were talking about Barry Bryant and Jay Stallings and all the, <laughs> the glory days, and mm-hmm. people weren't thinking they were going to come back, and they happened to come back. You just got to pair. You got to pair the coach and the philosophy and the boosters, and then you get the players. I think Colorado has the coach. They have the they have the transfer portal, so they're, they're lucky there. Mm-hmm. But. They're gonna have to win these games in order to to stay relevant. The same way with Utah, Ty, like Winningham, Kyle Winningham, just wins games every year, and it doesn't take much to keep Utah fans happy. You beat BYU when you play them, or you're just a better football team locally than BYU, like substantially better 
and then that's enough for Utah fans. Keep paying him his money. 44,000 people are going to pack, pack Rice Echo Stadium. You're going to have all the red shirts, the must, and everything else. So you have that going for you. But if you can't get the recruits a second year because you went 6-6, six and six, Dion, it's going to be a lot of Florida State jobs looking real good. You think Dion is going to go home? And then if the Pac-12 can't get their deal done, you're going to lose – you're going to lose a piece that actually gets people to put you on TV because you're on TV because you have the top quarterback. You're on TV because your coach is marketable. Don't worry, Pac-12. Because his name on the front of the jersey. Because like I said, LSU was hot. And then when Joe Burrow went to the NFL, it was like, we haven't seen LSU primetime in a long time. Mm-hmm. Don't Maybe worry. Play like an Oregon game or something like that. But yeah. Don't worry about it, Pac-12. When you're on Netflix, I will watch you after the wife is done with Love is Blind. You know, but yeah, you know, I just think that um, at this point, it's it's just survival. Because like I, like I always say, in my opinion, 2029-ish, because the Big Ten deal runs out in 2031, I believe. So 2029-ish, you, you're going to hear some rumblings about Oregon and Washington potentially going to the Big Ten. Like, I think that those schools think that they're above the Big 12. They want to go to the big boys. So I think they're going to hold out and try to push and get that invite. But, like, when Colorado – if Colorado gets that invite from the Big 12, those other four-corner schools are going to be right behind them, you know, and the Pac-12 is going to be left with nothing but filler. You know, like I mentioned, SMU – they might have to invite Rice at some point, you know, or uh, UTSA might have to get up in there. But you they're going to have to just basically scalp Texas. Like they're going to have to, they're going to they, they get out of Texas. They're going to have Texas. to open the rule book. They're going to have to open the rule book and see if they can invite a team from Regina or something. You know, like I just, <laughs> just want to say that. I did just want to say that. But, so but you, we got, what was it, 12 team playoffs starting 2024? Yep. If the Pac-12 doesn't consistently get two teams, and they used said 2029-ish, that, that range. So you have about five years to get two teams into that. If you're not getting team, if you're not getting two teams into that as one of these traditional power conferences like Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, if you're not consistently getting two teams, because we know the SEC is going to get three. I don't see how they can. Four. I don't see how they can. Because you don't see how the SEC gets three? No, because uh no, no, I'm talking about uh the Pac-12 getting two. Like getting, getting two, like two teams in the top twelve. Not consistently, not consistently. Like it might happen a year or two, but but just like from every the standpoint, couple of years, like you have to have yeah. a play, you gotta have a team in there, and then yeah, because you know perception years. is reality, and and every year the Pac-12 basically cannibalizes itself. You know, back to you, you don't like it, but you know, the weak argument they cannibalize themselves because nobody can stand above, you know. So, even Utah, you know, winning the conference, they still perenni- perennially lose two or three games every year. So, you know, you got your 10 and 2 Utah, or Washington, or Oregon that gets in. I don't know if you got room to get another 10 and 2 team or a 9 and 3 team in. Yes, yeah, it's, it's gonna be tough, especially it, without USC tough. and UCLA, because USC is the the breadwinner. They're the name, you know. So without USC there, 
your conference perception is just going to take a hit just because they're, it's just like the Big 12, right? TCU was good this year. Yes, they got that ass spanked by Georgia just like everybody else did. They scored two but, but, but the whole talk was the Big 12 is down because Texas and Oklahoma. And No, it wasn't down because of Texas and Oklahoma. Texas and Oklahoma just weren't any good. TCU was good. But the way that college football fans think and the media think and the people talk, college football is the one sport that we don't su- support Cinderella. You know, like March Madness is oh, built on Cinderella. You they know? don't want it at all. Yeah, like the people loved the story of the Heat losing to the Mavericks. You know, um, you know, people people would love to see, maybe not love, but a lot of people would find it fascinating if the Jaguars made it to the Super Bowl and, you know, let alone beat somebody. In college yeah. football, don't give me none of that. Give me my Texas, Oklahoma. Give me my Bama, LSU. You know, that's how college football fans. So I don't – so I think the Pac-12 no is No one wants that. to see Kentucky at 12-0. and 0. Right, because they'll just say that Florida or Tennessee <laughs> is down. You know what I mean? Like, they're not down. They're just bad, you know. But, uh, but at this point, that's what the Pac-12 is going to be fighting against in this new playoff is – and in this previous edition of the playoffs, the fourteen playoff, the Pac-12 doesn't have any success, and they don't get teams well, in. I mean, no one really has any success outside the SEC, and then you trickle in the ACC for the. Well, most I mean, part. Ohio State won a title, but you know what I mean, and they beat Michigan Clemson. State got spanked. They did. They were in it. Michigan uh, got spanked. Michigan got spanked. And then, TCU just got spanked. Washington got spanked. Hawaii got spanked back in the day. Like I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, but it's like these teams just and it's odd you know, because Oklahoma it's, it's didn't tough. even win a game. Oklahoma didn't even win a playoff game. But you know, and but but you know, but that's the thing. The Pac-12, you know, when they got in, I mean, Oregon beat Florida State that year. You know, the, the first year of the or the second year of the it was the first year of the playoff, and then they lost to Ohio State in the title game. But then that was just. That was the end of the Pac-12. You know, no more success, and that was 2014. So yeah, we're had the Oregon. But you talking about when they beat? So then Oregon beat Florida State when James. Yeah, yeah, Rumble, yeah. That was yeah. pre. That was no, no. That was the first year of the playoffs. That was the first one. Yeah. So yeah, and then they lost to Ohio State they, in the title game, the and then reason, the Pac-12 never won another game. But and the reason that they were in that position is because they got the best quarterback out of Hawaii to stay out west. Right. You know, just like how. Florida State was able to get Jameis Winston, one of the best quarterbacks from down south, to stay down south. But this, but this Kyle and Stanford, well, maybe not Stanford, because Stanford did get Andrew Luck, you know, but does Cal still have that type of cachet where an Aaron Rodgers type or a Jared Goff type would go there? There's so many of them. There's so many talented California quarterbacks even if you have to extend out in the Utah, because we talk about Jackson Dart, he just transferred to Ole Miss. He was from he played he was from Utah. I think Alabama had another quarterback that was like one of the top players. I think he was from like either East or Skyline or Sky Ridge, one of these one of those like prep one of those preppy uh, upper middle class high schools in Utah. They had a top quarterback that would go to California to train. Mm-hmm. So they were getting they're grooming these guys. They just can't keep them in house, and I don't and, know if it's just the NIL deals that you can't keep. Maybe they get some Google people in there, or some people who graduated from Cal who are working in these 
you know, the San Francisco Silicon Valley, and maybe they do some kind of partnership. Well, I think Stanford—that's where the money is. So, it's like, not, how I'm are not, you not able to get guys where the money is? I'm saying. not so sure about Cal, but from what I was reading, like Stanford just won't budge on the emissions and all that type of stuff. Like Colorado had that same battle because that was the reason Colorado wanted to move to the Pac-12 in the first place because they felt they had more in common with Berkeley than they did Nebraska. And, you know, now hanging out with the snobs got them left at the table, but, you know, but, 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 you know, but that's the thing. So, so like Colorado, I'm sure like most of the people that actually run the school, the chancellors and people like that, they would want to stay in the Pac-12. They want to still hang out with these snobs because they care about the academic reputation. You know, where yeah, whereas the fans are like, no, we just want to win football games. Go where we can do that. You know, I and mean, the thing with Cal, like I saw, I, was like, I saw a video earlier. We talked about it with Jalen Brown and his academics. You know, he was king of the chess club. He played at Cal. I uh, had an internship at NASA that he turned out because he can join the NBA. <clears throat> so that that region of California and that region of the country is. It produces a lot of tech savvy, the startup businesses there, just the Google intern. So it's a very academic heavy area. It's a lot like Boston in that regard, where Boston gets a lot of technical people and a lot of lawyers. Like that's their claim to fame for their academics. Cal, you get a lot of Stanford, you get a lot of engineers. Cal is the same way. You can get those in football players as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of offensive linemen have degrees in biochemistry and engineering mm-hmm. and things of that nature. They often win a lot of top academic awards are offensive linemen. Myron Roll, you know, over he, at Florida State. Mm-hmm. The Florida State was, was, you know, in neurology. He, he wanted to be a brain surgeon. So you can find talented football players that fit your academic mold as well. You just have to be able to support the – either you have to get the coach with the personality, i.e. Deion Sanders in Colorado, Whittingham in Utah. Utah is a big engineering program, big physics program, big math program overall. So they have a lot of smart players, and they recruit California well. A lot of their transfers mm-hmm. are JUCO guys from California or Texas. And they recruit Florida oddly well, like South Florida, Texas, and California – the JUCO route, that JUCO pipeline to, U- to Utah is just, it's every year it hits. I but, mean, I'm sure Bowl, that, Red, but I'm sure Bowl, some of that. But I'm sure some of that. Huntley, you know what I mean? He went to Utah. But I'm sure some of that is that they get to play against Trojangelis and go back home and all that kind of stuff too. And without that available, like I don't know if people are going to get excited, like players, I don't know if they're going to be yeah. excited to go back to California to play Berkeley or to go play Stanford or, you know, I just don't you know will if, if you're gonna go t- if you're gonna get a New Year's Eve ball game. You will, you know, and t- but then and, but the then you're probably gonna transfer, game. but then you'll probably transfer after the season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of I think a lot of guys are gonna transfer out for the most part. Yeah, yeah. so you so so you know, I think you know, but do you think so so like do you think that so when when and if Colorado goes to the Big 12, do you think that Prime, you know, will be able to navigate those waters? Like, do you think Dion's that... already going to be in Florida State by 2027. 
because either two two ways. If he has success, he's gonna get that path to Florida State because come down, sweetheart. Because people like when Florida State's good at football. Like when Florida State is up and running, it's exciting. The the ambiance, the fandom, like you Florida State fans are all over the country. They were like one of his true blue blood kind of schools. And he's he's a prodigal son. So if he has success in Colorado, that's going to be an easy jump for him to Florida State. And if he's not as successful, but he's still capable of recruiting Florida, then even that, a couple of seven and five seasons and eight and four season, I think if he has a bunch of players from Florida up to Colorado, the talk is going to be, well, he could probably still do that in Florida. So he'll end up in Florida State that way. So if, if he gets immediate success in Colorado, Florida State is going to come calling. But if he can recruit California, like recruit Florida well, they'll come calling. So he, he has a few years at Colorado, whatever, however many years his son has of eligibility to be the starting quarterback, that will be your determining. So once his son is NFL eligible, NFL ready, then you can kind of look at Dion potentially going back down south and starting his Bobby Bowden like mm-hmm. legacy. And it don't even have to be Florida State. I don't think he'd be anybody I mean, else. There. I mean, it would be ideal, but I mean, maybe if he could get an SEC job, that might be something he would entertain. Maybe just, just for the attention, just for the. You know the ability, you know, to be on the biggest, brightest stage. That's what Dion does. Yeah, but <laughs> Dion also picked. He was a mercenary. He picked San Francisco. He picked Dallas because he was like, "This team's gonna win it all." He's not going to coach Auburn mm-hmm. if he can't. If he doesn't think he can beat out Nick Saban, and then consistently, and then Daniel Snyder tried to go get old Dion. <laughs> But you got to do it. You got to do it. I guess if he's available, you got to do it. So, of course, it is that time of show. But before we get out of here, we got to get some things off our chest. So, I guess I'll start it off. So, initially, when we were doing our pre-meeting, I said I was going to call out Bob Myers because – you know, he's running when the t- when the going gets tough. They just won the championship last year, won four overall. Can't knock him, can't criticize him. You know how I feel. The empire has fallen. Don't compare him to the Bulls. Don't compare him to the Lakers, so on and so forth. You know, but I was like, is he doing his Sean McVay thing and just going home? But then as we started the, the show and everything, and I saw the last dance in the background, and I noticed that with my hat on, I resembled somebody. <laughs> I, I felt like I should talk to him for a second, you know, or about him. So, you know, Scotty Pippen. If I had to rank my favorite players of all time, my favorite, I ain't saying the best, just my favorite, he's probably number four. You know, Reggie Miller was my favorite, Isaiah Thomas, Kobe Bryant, and then Scotty Pippen. That's probably my top four favorite players. I know y'all got better lists than me because y'all front runners and whatnot, but that's my list. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, so Scottie Pippen, you know, made the comment about how Michael Jordan was this horrible player before he showed up and he was, you know, this horrible teammate and all these other things. And then I thought about this. 
So it's apropos, you know, that you're watching the, the last dance for me to say this. The same guy that didn't want to go in the game because Phil wanted Tony Kukoc to take the last shot. And by the way, Tony Kukoc made it. On the last dance, they gave him the opportunity. Like, if you could play that out again, would you do the same thing? Yes. And then he says, Michael Jordan made me look bad at the last dance. No, you looked bad because you're an ass. You did that. Hove went through all this stuff, so you didn't have to go through that. <laughs> you know, then Scottie Pippen was Mr. Migraine in game seven. You know, I'm not going to knock somebody from having migraines. You know, like I have never had a migraine. I imagine that they're awful, you know, but migraine in game seven, you know. What happened in Portland, Scotty? You know, you were a veteran by then. You were the, the mentor by then. And then you blew the game seven in Staples, now known as crypto. <laughs> what happened in Houston? You know, you went to Houston, you left Chicago. All these people say that Michael Jordan's one and nine in the playoffs before you showed up. Fact. They say that Michael Jordan didn't win until you showed up. Fact. They say he didn't win any titles without you. Fact. But what have you done without Michael? That's all I got. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, I mean, this is a, this is a conversation we can have forever. But if you are in a sports group and you, you say you're a sports fan, I want you to look at this show as a prime example. We've been doing this show for a few months now. And not ever have we had a topic of LeBron versus Jordan. Every once in a while, we allude to it to make other points, but we've never sat here for 20, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, and had this debate, this era debate. Who's this? Who's that? So if you are a sports fan and you're in sports groups or you communicate with me with sports, please try to be a little bit more inventive a little bit more uh, just in depth with your, your arguments. Just give me something that we can actually debate. Stop posting these random clips of LeBron getting his shot blocked and then saying, and then posting all these clips of Jordan making dunks. Or don't post a screenshot of Jordan 11 for 35 in game whatever. And then you post LeBron was 12 for seven. Like, no one cares. Stop it. I'm sick of seeing the argument. I'm sick of seeing it when it doesn't relate. I'm just sick of it altogether. Because, first of all, there's nothing any one of you can say that's original. It's not new. Nothing you can say is new. Nothing you can say is thought provoking. Nothing you can say about Jordan. Maybe say, hmm. I didn't know that. Or anything you say about LeBron is like, hmm, but stop. Just literally stop. Think of any other conversation we're going to have. There's active sports going on right now. The Stanley Cup Finals is about to pop off. The NBA Finals is about to pop off. Boston just lost yesterday. We can have a myriad of conversations, a multitude of conversations, a vociferous amount of conversations. Please stop posting these out-of-context memes every single day 
and then having these even more irrational, irrelevant arguments. Cut it out. Be better than that. It's obnoxious. It's it's just stop. Just stop doing it. Everything related to basketball does not involve LeBron. Everything related to basketball does not involve Jordan. And any comparison doesn't have to be argued out all week long when there's actual live basketball going on. I don't know how much that's going to help, but you can go ahead, cut it, edit that, and post that to the page because I'm sick of it. You I'm, know, what, I'm just like I'm sick of it. You know what my favorite is? Is like LeBron will have a bad game or like miss a shot late in the game or something, and then somebody will say, "You didn't criticize Jordan when he, yeah, because Jordan hasn't played in twenty years. I ain't trying to talk about him." Like, yes, Man. I know that Michael Jordan went three for 18 in the playoff games against the Knicks and the playoff game against the Knicks. I know that Michael Jordan went one and nine without Pippen, you know, before in the playoffs without Pippen. I know that he lost the game that he scored 63 points in. I know all that stuff, but like I always say, there ain't nothing that anybody on the LeBron side is going to say to make a Jordan Knight come over. There ain't nothing that a Jordan Knight is going to say to make a LeBron guy come over. Like we are where we are, however we feel about it. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to know, here it comes y'all. I just want to know what you do with Kobe. That's what I want to know. I, I just want to know where you put Kobe at. And I think, the, and the problem is this, I can talk about why I like LeBron. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about all his accolades and I can compare him to all the guys that he tried to compare him to in, in the era that he played. And even you can look at his overall impact. Like, yes, he has more points than anybody's ever played in sport. There's nothing wrong with that being just a simple fact. You don't have to argue and say, well, Jordan did this and then he wouldn't play baseball. If he didn't play baseball, he would have eight championships in a row. But he did. That. That's that's but yeah, once again, like that's that's not the com- the conversation. It's like yo, this dude scored more points than anybody's ever played the sport. And stop disrespecting Elijah one too. It, so it's just like, oh, the East is weak. Okay, quantify that. Uh uh, uh I'm like, then stop. Like that's that's why me and Mike have these conversations. Cause like, listen, the whole point is to have these conversations is to quantify and qualify the conversation. You don't always have to agree, but just give me the facts. Mike is a numbers guy. I am a I'm a concept guy. I'm a construct guy. I don't really get into the numbers. I get into the philosophy of the sport. The what I know about how the defense operates, what I know about this, you know, this offense versus this kind of defense. Or you think you can take a team and beat Joe Mazzula? Uh, <laughs> I, I yeah, probably. <laughs> but realistically, like I thought the Denver. Boston matchup in the NBA finals would have been better because I think even though Miami beat Boston, I think that the size that Boston has Mm -hmm. and the way they use their size, Mm -hmm. they use Al Horford defensively and for scoring. They use Robert Williams' rebounding and score. They just don't use them properly. I thought that could have, I thought that would have been a better matchup. That was my pick. I was like, was, stop, like the whole mm-hmm. the concept of Styles makes fights. I think the Boston Denver mm-hmm. matchup would have been better stylistically. That was my pick. I and I probably would have has enough to beat Denver. 
that was that was my pick when the playoffs started, Boston and Denver, and I probably would have picked uh, Boston to win, you know, just because they would have had multiple bodies to throw at Jamal Murray. They would have had multiple bodies to like take out Michael Porter. You could still let Jokic get everywhere. his everywhere, yeah. like Tatum. You could put Tatum on Porter and just exhaust him by making him defend Tatum Mm -hmm. and then Tatum can just like well you don't get the ball that much but when you get it I'm just gonna be in you or you can just even run Marcus Smart at Jamal Murray I think it would have it would have been a it would have been a great matchup well like I always say like um I think that they have the potential and I shouldn't say potential because they've been together for you know six or seven years now but to me Tatum and Brown is what Paul George and Kawhi are supposed to be you know, or when when they went to the Clippers, the expectations that people had of the Clippers that were unfounded. You know, I think Boston that was already doing Boston that. Boston was already Boston doing it. Been doing it, yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, but they just for whatever reason, you know, they ran into the buzzsaw last year. He came up in there, and he let them know that he was still here. You know, Jalen Brown dribbling the ball off his foot. This year, I can't explain it. You know what I'm saying? All I can say is they played stupid and Miami shot the lights out at times. That's all I got. I don't think Miami shot the ball that well, though. If we look at the final score last, like the game six was 104-103. I think one game Miami scored 128 points. Last Mm -hmm. night, they basically took their foot off the gas. It, you know, was it 103-82 or what was the final score? Something like that. Something like that. Somewhere in that range. So Miami shot 48% from the field and 43 from three in this in that and 83% from the line in that series. I think the, the free throw line, that's probably like the big surprise because they were but they were shooting, they shot I don't think they shot as many threes as Boston. They definitely shot a higher percentage. Mm-hmm. I, just, I think they played they played Boston well, but I just don't I don't see Denver allowing that. Like I know we already rehashed it, but mm-hmm, like I, said, mm-hmm. I think stylistically the Boston Denver series because I was thinking that I was thinking it all day yesterday before the game started. I was like, I think no in Game Six when I was watching, I was like, I think the Boston Denver series would be legit. I was, I didn't want to stay in those spoil being the old three. How many more threes do you think Boston took than Miami? 75. That's actually a pretty good guess. 62. They took 62 more threes. And then they made... Eight less. That's why it looks like Miami shut the lights out. Because they were, because yeah, they were efficient with it, and they were getting open looks. Boston was just building up the bricks to block the lights. Yeah, like like Miami was Miami would take its smart threes, like wide open. Miami's three point shooter was shooting at threes. Duncan Robinson, he was shooting the threes. Jimmy Butler was like, all right, let me go ahead and throw a couple of these up, see if I can knock them down. Which is crazy. And Matabaya wasn't out there pulling up shooting threes. Which is like crazy because Duncan Robinson had a chance to win that game twice. <laughs> you know, too much space, too much yeah. time. Yeah. The second time he think. Yeah, yeah. He had enough yeah. time to think, if I miss this wide open shot, the crowd is going to be so upset with me. 
And then that's how long he had the ball. Like he was looked and I was like, yeah, was I'm going to miss this shot. And they're going to say, where's Tyler? He's, oh, he's like, man, if I miss it, he's like, I can't miss the shot. I'm too open. And then the other one he took, it was in rhythm. And it was like, I just missed that wide open shot. Two possessions ago. Yeah. I can't miss another one. And he missed it. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that is the one and only Mr. Logical. You Listen, know, and, man, I am what I am. Like it or love it. And I am <laughs> the magnificent two five. <laughs> <laughs> and together we are sports reports as ordered. Thank you for your support. Like, subscribe, review, leave us questions, give us five stars, all that good stuff because it costs you nothing. Free 99. Yes. And yo, you can at me with the Jordan LeBron argument if you want. And I will demand that you qualify, quantify your arguments why you can continue to have this and you won't be able to do it. <laughs> Trust me, I set this stuff up on purpose. I'm a great debater. Don't I'd rather do me. other stuff. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the I'm we, two five, right? Two five, right? Months. We've done three months and we haven't done it. I'm telling you, it's way more stuff. We talked about the city of Vegas and their sports, and it was a 30 minute riveting conversation that included the WBA, hockey, basketball, summer league, and baseball, baseball on the way. Football all-star games super bowls like hey you know what i got some homework for y'all you want to do this jordan lebron thing nah give me tim duncan versus elijah one give me kareem versus wilt let me know you know sports then holla at me and on that note god bless and we love you peace wow.